Welcome to The Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts us all. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. This episode of The Broadband Bunch is sponsored by ETI Software, your zero-touch automation experts. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Broadband Bunch. I'm Joe Coldabella, and we are at the Broadband Access event, making the most of our nation's investment in digital equity. We're in Cleveland, and this event is hosted by the Pew Charitable Trust. Joining me is the director of the Coelho Center Media and Information Policy at Michigan State University, Professor Johannes Bauer. Johannes, welcome to The Broadband Bunch. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's, it's a pleasure to have you um, on the show um, before we dive into the topic at hand, I would love it if you could just give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself. Yes, I'm an economist and engineer by training and have dealt with uh, issues of information communication policy for a long time uh, in my career. I'm an import from Europe. I got interested in working in the United States in the 1980s when I had a sense that what the Americans do is way more superior to what the Europeans do in this field of technology policy. And I ended up staying here at Michigan State University. Now I'm directing a center that is dedicated to link high quality research, rigorous research with the issues and, and problems in practice. So we, we are in a research and outreach center that has one leg in the academy and one leg in practice with communities, uh, businesses and so forth. So the the hope is that when you um, produce in terms of some research that you have some actionable items behind it. Exactly. Translational, actionable research that has a practical impact. That's, that's awesome because, yeah, it's one of those things where theory is great, but it's when, you know, we can actually get a benefit from, from the research that's done. That's the real big win. Yeah, all theory is great unless you can translate it into practice and, and do something practical and useful with it. Awesome. Um, just in terms of th- this event's great, I know that you're um, working with the, the um, Opportunity Broadband Coalition. If you could talk about that, that'd be awesome. Yeah, we are really excited to be a founding member of Opportunity Broadband. Uh, and when, when we were approached by the Pew Charitable Trust in possibly joining this coalition, I was really excited about it uh, because what it, what it does, it feels, fills a need uh, that exists currently to produce synergistic, integrative work. Uh, broadband is a different value system than previous uh, types of information and communication technologies. And bro- access, uh, having high quality uh, connections, having devices, having the skills to use them is just one part of the equation. What we also need to do in order to take advantage of, of these tremendously promising technologies is we need to build new practices in the workforce. We need to build new management practices. We need to new build new practices in the public sector, how to interact with citizens in healthcare and so forth. So there's what, what economists call complementary uh, innovations that need to happen to take full advantage of broadband. And Opportunity Broadband is positioned to look at this holistically. And um, I, I have to say, I'm really excited that the, that the latest funding initiatives uh, at the national level also recognize this complementarity between the infrastructure that is an absolute first step, but then these additional innovations that we need to learn how to uh, develop and implement. And Opportunity Broadband tries to be a voice and a nonpartisan 
force to, to think through this and help stakeholders to make the best of the technological opportunities that we have. No, I, I, I couldn't agree, agree more. It's, it's right in terms of the, the bead funding, it's obviously the infrastructure is, is critical, but there's also um, there's a, a, an opportunity that folks are left behind. And if we don't, if we don't account for that, then, then a lot of the stuff that we're doing is going to be for naught. Yes, and the digital divide, as the term coined by NTIA actually already in 1995, really has multiple components, right? The first level of digital divide is, is the access and device uh, gap. And clearly we have recognized that we need to close it as quickly as we can. The pandemic really has opened our eyes here. Absolutely. But on, on, in addition to this physical uh, infrastructure gap, there is a, a skill gap. And, and again, uh, the digital equities are a portion of, of the federal programs now, and state programs and local programs, try to really address this very proactively. But then you can go beyond it as a third level, right? You have the skills, you really need to use them in, in the right way in your business environment, in your public policy environment, in your communities to create the value added that, that these technologies promises. That's an outcome divide that also exists. And finally, I would say there's even a fourth dimension to it, and that is technology will not stop. There will be a next wave of technology. There will be a next challenge. We have to learn how to adapt over time. So we have to find sustainable and resilient solutions that work. And this is, again, this is a fourth uh, level of a, of a divide challenge, I think, that we'll face in the future. Uh, no, I mean, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a lot there, um, especially the last point in terms of that, that um, technology is always evolving and, and always moving forward. And so we've got a sort of a, a, a daunting task at hand because, um, you know, we're, as you said, we're, you know, the term has been around since the 90s to, to close the digital divide. Um, do you fear that, that, in fact, that it's not going to, um, the, the gap is not going to shrink, it's actually could grow even more if, if we don't uh, address the issue? Well, there are, new, there, there are always two forces at work, right? We have been, despite maybe a lot of the public discussion, the U.S. has been able to close the digital divide over the last two decades. Maybe not as fast as people envisioned, and there was probably too much trust in how far market forces, unfettered market forces, would take us. Most people who know uh, infrastructure development warn from the beginning that the market only works thus far. There's so many areas where there's no real strong business case unless there's sort of some form of subsidy or some kind of complementary policy in place. And I think now we're realizing that that was true. We didn't really fully realize it 20 years ago. But the, there are challenges, right, that, that need to be overcome. And, and uh, right now we're, we're talking about populations that are difficult to serve, high cost, uh, maybe low income, low skills. And I'm really excited by all the experiments that are going on across the United States. So many communities have come together in so many innovative ways to, to close those gaps. And so there's, this is the force of closing the divide, right? But then technology keeps evolving. Right. As, as artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, the Internet of Everything uh, come along, there will be new challenges and new gaps will open. So there's always this pendulum swing, right? Opening the divide, closing the divide. And we really have to be alert and agile to not let the widening forces dominate the closing forces, right? We want to, the balance to be, uh, we close, uh, these divides as they open up. 
No, I think that's a, that's a great point in the sense that it really is an accordion effect because as we um, as new technology comes online, we're always constantly catching up. So it's it's one of those things where it's probably a good thing that that we're, that we're always sort of playing catch up because that's how we advance in terms of technology. Yeah, let me give you one example. But right? this this could have very practical implications. In some of our research, for example, when we study the impact of broadband on 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 K through 12 education. A lot of the emphasis historically was on the homework gap, and that is a, a very serious issue. And broadband access, of course, helps overcome that homework gap, but we all, what we also learned is that there's a second dimension to this, and that is the digital skills gap. And digital skills are needed to succeed in that current information environment, and certainly in the future information environment, but, but most school curricula currently do not really emphasize the building of digital skills, right? So there's a gap in the way we have structured our pedagogy and our learning. And schools need to adapt um, to develop new programs that emphasize digital skills and reward digital skills, not just use digital technology to, to um, uh, make it easier to, to finish your homework, for example, right? And so, so we need to rethink in a systemic, in an, like in an ecosystem, how those different pieces uh, fit together. If we have this preparation, then we can also m make the transition easier to the next generation of technology. There will be a learning effect that will be simplified. That's a great point. So it's, it's not, a, it's not a essentially learning how to do things. It's, it's almost you want it to become second nature for the students so as things evolve that they can evolve with them. Exactly. And some of this learning happens actually in a playful way. And so as we have a, a nation, national discussion on, on the role of social media in our lives, for example, and how to mitigate harm, we must not forget that the playful use of these media actually also has a positive effect. And the challenge for policy will be how can we emphasize the positive and how can we mitigate the potential negative effects, right? And this is, a, this is not an easy question to answer. We, we are still learning in how to do this. And, and social media definitely is one of those things where I, I scratch my head off often. But I, I think also what it is, it's so new is that everyone's still learning how to handle it. And so as, as the... As we evolve, I think that um, hopefully it will will have a less mitigating and, and less, I guess, uh, dilatorious effect on us um, as we move forward. That's that's one of my hope. Yeah, and so that it leads me to another point that I, I really would like to make because it's part of of the work in opportunity broadband and in many uh, people on the ground, uh, from what I can observe, that is, the technology can be designed in a more human centric, more people centric way. And we have not done enough to really experiment with different types of uh, technology architectures. Right? Here we are in Cleveland, and Cleveland has a long history uh, of, of citizen engagement with computing technologies, going back to the 1990s, you know, the first days of the modem world, for example, if those of us who remember bulletin <laughs> boards and so forth. This was a very different model where, where you had highly decentralized, highly user-driven types of interactions, right? And some of our electronic communication systems have become too centralized in that sense, right? We need to come back to a more balanced way and really reinvent what it means to use uh, information communication technologies for communities. And there's a new movement, uh, one is called rural computing, for example, where the question is really how can we design systems that, that meet the needs of rural and smaller town environments? 
there's also the related movement of public interest technology development. And here we, we look for new types of innovations that are more people-centric. And uh, we need to come up with different architectures, learn what works, what doesn't work, and build a learning system going forward to fully harness the benefits of these technologies. And the opportunity brought, and again in our center, we are involved in these discussions and hopefully contribute. Could you kind of drill down a little bit more on, on uh, people-centric? Because I think that it's a really interesting idea. And... Um, you know, just in terms of the interactions I have is that it almost seems like, at least right now, we're sort of getting away to that. We're trying to automate everything. And I think you're losing that human element. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so there's multiple components. One is um, that as we design technologies and technological systems, uh, it would would be beneficial to ask users first what, what they want the technology for and how they are going to use the technology. Um, let me give you a simple example. Banks increasingly move away from um, from in-person offices. They move a lot of their functions online with apps uh, on smartphones, but they frequently do not think about people who might have some handicap or some, some different ability that makes it very difficult for them to interact sure. with those technologies. Right? And if technology developers would think about these populations beforehand, they would develop technology in a different way. They would have maybe an, 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 uh, customer service agents that are available. Um, there's many, many ways how we can do it. They would think about different interfaces uh, and so forth. And uh, currently, very little of this is happening. We only have one Facebook. Right? <laughs> so, but there could be other ways how we can organize those those online media that, that use sort of um, algorithms that don't amplify anger and upsetting emotions. Um, we need more experiments. And this might be a, a little bit off topic, but have, um, have you uh, examined or looked at the, met- the metaverse? Is that something that, uh, an area that you've sort of uh, looked at as well in terms of a, a net positive or, or just the evolution of, of uh, the internet in general? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting initiative, right? We don't know exactly how this, this world will evolve. Um, th- there's a lot of beneficial applications of, of virtual reality technologies that we already use. Uh, we use it in teaching, for example, to very, very good effects. So virtual classrooms that use uh, uh, 3D technology can, can uh, increase learning effectiveness far over the, you know, the, the Zoom and other types of worlds that we have. Or we, we, we have tremendous encouraging results in, let's say, in the medical field. So a colleague of mine, for example, uses VR to avoid uh, having to give people anesthesia for certain types of surgery. Oh, really? I've never heard that one before. Yeah, and and, uh, and it, it works fantastically well. It's not only does it save costs, it also is, is way less intrusive. So there's, there's great promises. At the same time, we're at a, at a juncture, right? We should probably think more about what rules would we like this world to obey, right? What kind of basic guardrails do we want for the metaverse to have so that we don't run into an amplified problem with privacy and the appropriation and expropriation of data of individuals as they behave in those in those new environments? Yeah, no, because just, um, it's funny, uh, I had a friend who um, there, I guess at nursing homes, they brought the, the, the meta 
or the uh, the VR to um, allow folks who are bedridden to exercise and just to have it um, uh, just instead of just sitting there in bed, it was kind of a, a great thing in terms of the evolution of, of where we can take these things. Exactly. Um, so just quickly, I know that you're speaking today and the topic is um, how research and institutions can play a role in narrowing the the um, digital equity. What are some of the you know highlights that you hope to to discuss today? Yeah, I see myself more as a facilitator of a conversation, okay. a listener more than a speaker, which is good. And uh, because the experts are really all the participants in in the audience today, and um, opportunity broadband hopes to um, scale research activities in new ways that create synergies between the many many initiatives that already go on, and. There's two or three outcomes that would be we're trying to see whether, whether there's, there's buy-in or there's interest in pursuing those. One is that I think we need more evaluative research. There's massive amount of funding has been coming uh, from the federal and from the state levels to communities. And we need to understand better uh, what works and what doesn't work. We need to help communities to use those funds in a, in a prudent way so that we can maximize the reach of those funds. Um, secondly, we need to uh, start to think about how we create sustainable models, right? Because all these current programs are have a timeline to them. But as we said before, technology will not stop evolving. So there has to be, we have to develop new models that will allow us to continue uh, to upgrade as technology evolves. And thirdly, those two forces, right, of, of, of uh forces that reduce digital inequality and then forces that increase digital inequality. We have to better understand how these work and how those manifest in different technologies and how we can find local solutions, state solutions, uh, and federal solutions to to um, take advantage of the power of technology while mitigating its harms. Okay. And so basically, as sort of the, the moderator, your ideas for, for the folks in the room to have sort of a, a free flow of ideas and ex exchange ideas because I think that's the great thing about an event like this is that you you meet folks and you hear ideas that you know someone else is in the country is doing and, and it's one of those things where it's an opportunity for you guys to amplify those it's a it's a listening session primarily but what are the needs that people on the ground have um, a session where we can try to build bridges between different types of research on people on the ground. And ideally, we would like to have like a two-way flow of information. It's a co-creation, right? The, this, we have to have a systemic approach, as m multiple people already said at this conference. And that means that all of us have some local expert knowledge, but right. none of us really understands the whole system. So we need to collaborate, and we need to find new ways to cooperate. And, and for the past decades, right, sort of um, many of us moved in increasingly smaller silos. So we need to de-silo and we need to reach out and learn in new ways to collaborate. Many people already do this uh, at the community level, at the state level. And we would like to sort of create uh, an additional energy that includes the research community into these discussions. No, that's great because you're you're 100 percent right. It's 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 um, one of the great things about about the broadband bunch is that we hear different stories from not only the United States, but Canada, the UK. And it's interesting in the sense that the the way people approach uh, the problems in their areas, because 
all the problems are the same, but they're all different. If that, if that kind of makes sense, and this, in, 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 they've all got the same problem, but everyone has their own set of separate challenges. So it's an interesting sort of exercise. Um, yeah. So, so the good thing about digital decollage is it's very flexible. It's very malleable. It's plastic. Uh, the many different ways how we can use it fruitfully in communities. So there's a, there's a range for different experiments. Communities can adapt uh, technology to their own needs, to their own vision of, of the good life. And then we can use this diversity to learn from each other and emulate things that work in other places, maybe not emulate 100%. others that don't work, right? So, so one of the goals of our conversation today perhaps is, is to make first steps to create this dynamic learning, learning system that we can use going forward. Awesome. Um, just out of curiosity, you know, it's one of those things where uh, just listening to the different terms around here, one, one term that I heard that I'd never heard before, which was information and communication technologies or ICT. Um, what exactly is that? Yeah, so that's a term that crept into the vocabulary probably in the 19, as early as in the 1980s possibly, right? Because we, we used to have communication technology, telecommunications, telephone, telegraph, uh, data, first forms of data communications. But then in the 1960s, slowly and gradually in the 1970s and 80s, digital technology became part of communications. And as digital protocols were used for communications, it was only a short step to introduce computing and communications, right? And now we have this first wave of convergence where we, we see information technology traditional computing converge with telecommunications technology to form information and communication technologies. Many people now use it generically to refer to everything digital, right? That includes a communications okay. component okay. and a computing component. Uh, some people use the term uh, mediamatics uh, for the, the new convergence between entertainment and computing and communications. But generally, most people would use information and communication technologies is the overarching umbrella term for this very vibrant field. Awesome. Okay, that's uh, that makes a little more sense now. Um, and just out of curiosity, as we as we work to sort of um, solve the, the the digital equity problem, what's something you know just as a that you could s say to the folks who are in the field, the the boots on the ground? Um, are there any actionable things that you would say for them to um, help? sort of um, eliminate the uh, the digital equity divide? Well, as I said, many communities have developed great expertise uh, in those issues, and they are really the experts, right? But, but from, from my perspective, where I sit from a, from, a, from a research center, things that would make sense is, first of all, be aware of the multiple levels of the digital divide. So, so don't just think about it as an, as an access divide, but also as a skills divide and then an outcomes and an adaptability divide. And that, that systemic thinking, is, as we've heard from many of the, of the advocates on the ground, many of the policymakers, is, is now increasingly adopted sort of an ecosystem approach, which is very, I think is very encouraging for me. Secondly, again, this is already happening. I don't think this is an, an advice. This is just sort of happening, and I think it's it's a good uh, strategy is to to be inclusive of of as many stakeholders as possible. Make sure to work across those silos, right? Make sure that sort of the education community, the health community, uh, talks to the urban planning community, and is part of the of that visioning process. 
And finally, I think it's impossible to to learn from others. And again, there's many, many initiatives already happening. I mentioned NDIA before. Uh, Opportunity Broadband will probably be another one. There's many uh, research groups already who have tried to integrate and synthesize research. So so keep your, your eyes, your radar screen open for, for those potential pieces of information to help you come up with better local policies and responses. That's awesome. And no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a general theme that I get is always include all the stakeholders in the process um, as soon as possible, because when you get that buy-in, it's, it's, you get everyone going in the same direction and it's a lot easier for, for, um, for folks to complete projects. Um, the Internet of Things, I just had a curiosity. Um, you, hear, you hear that the term thrown around a lot. It's like, um, I guess, how will it shape the economy um, as we move forward? Is it one of those things where um, I would love to get your thoughts on that? So the Internet of Things is, is something that is not a thing of the future. It's already here. If you drive a car, you're already uh, part of the Internet of Things, right? I mean, there's many electronic parts in your car, many connected parts in the car. If you wear a Fitbit, uh, if you have a smartphone, you're already part of this. Your refrigerator may may be connected. The the idea is that we we will network not only individuals and organizations, but we will also network our physical objects. And increasingly, that is happening. There's many promises that that come from it, uh, but there's also many many challenges, right? We 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 network medical devices, for example, so, so monitoring devices for blood sugar or for heart rates of certain types of chronically ill patients. And with that networking comes also come risks, right? The, the risk of, uh, of privacy breaches, the sure. risk of uh, security uh, breaches and so forth. And um, the, the field is so dynamic, uh, that whole um, field of, of new devices and new software for this Internet of Things is actually has very few standards that would actually secure uh, high levels of security and privacy. And I think there's a huge need and a huge risk to, to think about this very carefully. Most, many of us actually think about it now as the internet of everything, where, where literally eventually everything will be connected in one form or another. And uh, we ne- really need to, to watch out uh, what the social effects and the technological risks are that are associated with those systems. Yeah, no, that that's... That's so true, but to your earlier point is that we're always evolving, and so the Internet of Things or the Internet of Everything, it's, it's slow. It's almost like it's, 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 uh, it's noticeable, but then we don't notice it, and sure enough, in, in five years, it's going to be everything, the Internet of Everything, which is a fascinating sort of question to, to sort of think about. These are technologies that are sort of black box technologies in a sense, right? They're embedded in, uh, in daily objects that... And we may not even be aware of the fact how they work and uh, thermostats, for example, and apps that we use all the time. So digital literacy training, in addition to policy guardrails for these systems, will be important. But we, we, I think we, we must not fall for the wrong vision that th- the faster we innovate, the better it is. Right? There are certain types of innovations that would benefit from maybe moving a little bit slower, thinking more carefully about what what are the, the boundaries that we want to set? Uh, many of these technologies are dual-use technologies. They can be used for great good, but they can also be used for great harm. And how do we really create those guardrails to avoid harm? 
and sometimes that requires moving a little bit slower, m moving a little bit more deliberately. And I, I hope that you know the discussions here and the discussions that are already going on on the ground will eventually help us to really maximize the benefits of digital technology and mitigating the potential harms of those technologies. Because well, I and, and please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but it seems like. It, that the collection of, of data is good. The, co the collection of my data is bad in the sense that um, we've got to make sure that those guardrails that are put in um, properly protect people's privacy. Yeah, for example, data could be anonymized at the point of collection. Right. And, and, um, and for many, many purposes, that would not actually reduce the usefulness of the data. We also have uh, huge issues with the... the hoarding of data in, in a few organizations. They're not just the big tech companies, there's many other organizations too, but most of them try to make a commercial business model of the data. I think we have to rethink wh what share of, of this data that we have is, is in the public domain and should be considered a public resource, more like, let's say, electromagnetic spectrum. Right? And how can we create a system of, of rights and obligations to make sure that enough of the data is shared and is available for others who would benefit from having access to the data so that it's not uh, proprietarily uh, fenced off uh, by a few companies. No, sort of on the theme of, of Internet for All, it's one of those things where the data um, should be for everyone's use in terms of to, to get the best benefit for, for everyone. Right, and I think there's, there's probably a balance. Uh, there's probably no problem with uh, having some data this proprietary, that is specific, let's say, to a financial institution sure. or to a health institution. But uh, probably currently, the threshold of how much of the data is, sh is shared more publicly is, is, is set in the wrong place. Right? It's, it's, there's too much of it is fenced off currently. Okay. All right. And then I just have uh, one other topic, and, 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 then, I, and then we'll um, ask the, the two challenging questions that I love to ask everybody. But um, automation and, and artificial uh, intelligence, um, what kind of impact are they going to have in terms of the, the digital economy moving forward? Is it one of those things where um, it's going to be really big, or is it one of those things like, is it going to be the, or the accordion effect as well, where it's going to happen subtly over time? Probably uh, a combination of those two. I mean, so for one, if you think of artificial intelligence as a as a forecasting or prediction technology, in a sense, right, and it's increasingly benefiting from becoming cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. What has happened in all areas of our life, right? Things that get cheaper, we'll use more. Right. So, so we will embed uh, this technology uh, more broadly in in all our areas. Now, there's enormous challenges for one uh, in terms of developing the, the business practices to really use it well, but there's also enormous challenges in terms of the effects, the social effects of these technologies, right? I mean, uh, uh, artificial intelligence benefits from large training sets of data, but we know there's enormous biases in the existing training sets of data. Right. And so in that sense, what you get is a replication of the past. Uh, past inequalities will become embedded in, in these automated decisions. Now, the, the, because they become more black boxed, right, they will be less transparent and we will be less aware of those. And so I think this is, this is a huge risk uh, going forward. And there's counter movements, open AI, for example, uh, ways to, to create more accountability 
to understand how these algorithms work, but this is this is an ongoing discussion that will be very challenging. Well, so yeah, like it's definitely one of those things where it's a topic that I'm just starting to learn about, and it's it's fascinating, um, just the the potential, but it's also one of those things that there are pitfalls. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so so as I said before, right, the dual nature of of technology to to <laughs> yeah. can go no, can absolutely. go either way. So we have to be really diligent to make sure that that we avoid those those downsides that that come with it. So, um, Professor Bauer, as we wind down, I love to ask all our uh, guests two questions, and the first question is our Back to the Future question. So I'm going to give you the keys to the DeLorean, and. Um, you know, you get to travel back in time, however far you want. If there was something you could whisper in your ear, that sort of would, would make, I don't know, your journey a little bit easier. What would you tell yourself? Yeah, so I would probably go back to the early 1990s. Okay. And uh, and um, at that time, everybody was excited about uh, deregulating and creating more competition in the telephone network. And nobody thought about the internet at that time. Right? I wish at that time we had thought more diligently about how those those two worlds might interact uh, in, in in the future. Right? And so what we because we didn't see this as clearly, what happened is that many places went into a, a detour or into a sidetrack where they considered telecommunications as the traditional regulated area that needed to be unregulated. And they thought of information technology as, as a completely unregulated free market endeavor. And we're very, very reluctant to think about sort of those guardrails that would be necessary. And I wish we had earlier thought about sort of what guardrails one might need for this digital environment. It was in some sense too early, right? I mean, but again, you know, it's with the benefit of going back to the past. Right? Exactly, right, <laughs> That's exactly. exactly what I would have suggested. <laughs> and now we're struggling to reconcile those two. And, and um, because the, the old world of, of regulated telecommunications was so bureaucratic and was so slow moving and was dominated by very large companies, many of those new uh, um, internet-based entrepreneurs were utterly uh, um, reluctant to engage with it and they really considered themselves as a new world. But what we realize in the meantime is that you can't, com you can't uh, completely differentiate those two, right? I mean, cyberspace is in part a new uh, realm, uh, but it's in part also embedded in our real life, right? And we have to reconcile those two. Yeah, no, wow, that's a, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. Um, if we could, uh, you know, unfurl the crystal ball and I could say, listen, if you could look three to five years into the future, uh, you know, um, where do you things, where do you see things going, you know, just in terms of digital equity or, or however, or wherever you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, I that that, that ball is 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 has some clouds, I must say. I mean, it has some bright spots, and I think that 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 the way policy and and uh, and and businesses have been re and communities have been reorienting in the last uh, decade or so is really encouraging. I think we are really in a, in a transitory phase where we could maybe use uh, digital technologies more to the benefit of our communities and really come up with this new wave of innovations that many of us have been waiting for. At the same time, th there's some clouds on the horizon, right? We see on a, on a, on a global geopolitical scale, for example, we see uh, a, a fragmentation or a differentiation of, of, of values, and, and we see how, how, how this, these different interests now have affected uh, 
this this broader version of a of a globally integrated uh, communications and information infrastructure in ways that we see in more regional bifurcations or regional branching is of um, uh, the Europeans have gone their own way. Uh, authoritarian regimes have gone really far in a different direction. And um, there's no there's no easy answer how how to counter these these developments, right? I mean, what but I think the best way forward for for a place that loves freedom and entrepreneurship like the United States would be is to showcase that we can actually use this technology in a in an open innovative environment for the benefit of society. We can develop a um, a showcase of what could be achieved in terms of creating a good society in that framework. And we have to work on it. This will not be easy. This will require all hands on deck, as many people have said at this conference, and I'm happy for my part to contribute my little part that I can contribute. Awesome. That's a, that's a, a great place to end, end the interview. Um, Johannes, if, if folks want to learn more about yourself and, and your organization, where can they go? They just could visit us on, on the web, where else? Coelho, <laughs> Q-U-E-L-L-O dot M-S-U dot E-D-U. Awesome. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Broadband Bunch. Until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks a lot.